0: Drive-by-Cinema, three nachos
1: and a foaming
0: thermos of fun.
1: Hello and welcome. It's season three, episode 34 of this podcast, Drive-by-Cinema, with my co-host Paul. Hi, all. I'm Rick. The podcast where we watch the movies so that you don't have to, and then give you our uninvited opinions about them. For some reason Yeah
0: We do It's 34 We're 34 in Only another uh, 18 to go This season
1: Okay Paul So Regarding last week's episode Yeah Yeah go on I'm waiting For you to Criticise me For the edit Of last week's episode It's probably
0: to do With my uh, Headphone Or microphone settings Richard So I wouldn't do that (laughs)
1: No, it's nothing to do with the sound quality. That was all perfectly inaudible. I'm I'm now beginning to sense that you didn't maybe listen to it. I guess you Oh dear. No did you attention.
0: include our uh, pre and afters?
1: No, no, I mean I mean I had to cut quite a lot out, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. So it really comes down to what I cut out. Oh. And mostly it was me, so don't worry about that. It was me going on and on about uh free will. Free will. Oh well, I mean I'm not sure no. that we've missed Richard <laughs> exactly right exactly right I was only asking just to see whether you'd bother listening that was just my sneaky way of doing it uh, that was, I that, that was particularly what, sneaky what, well done <laughs> what I already knew <laughs> really well
0: done I never read the Monday matinee reviews Richard you know
1: this what I did notice what I did notice when I was doing the edit last week okay oh is during last week's episode I made perhaps a throwaway comment about something. And you gave me what I've come to learn is your standard, like, humouring Rick answer. Which is what? You gave me the kind of yes where you go, mm, I, don't, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't really care. Uh,
0: <laughs> I might have been looking at my notes on the film, Richard. I might have. Heard. I mentioned. I might have been busy thinking about something else. Don't necessarily uh, construct uh, my uh, cognitive uh, overload, cognitive load. And dismissing the results from it as as, as as judgment upon what you were saying.
1: It's pertinent to the question of free will, which always crops up in time travel movies. Yeah. And I mentioned the, something about Newcomb's paradox. Newcomb's paradox, you did. And I was wondering, maybe, if you had the faintest clue what I was talking about. I, I probably know the principle. I'm not
0: great with remembering names. To this day, I don't know what Kirchhoff's laws are. Well, I know what they are, but I don't know which is which.
1: So it's something to do with making vodka, presumably, is it?
0: <laughs> so, So, Newcomb's paradox, I imagine, is something to do with the loop paradox you get if you, if you see yourself or something like that.
1: Like in a mirror? Like when two mirrors are facing one another and stuff, and you wave and I'm... A Mexican wave of waves goes down the mirrors. But no, let me explain Newcomb's paradox. But before I do, the thing about paradox... so kind of a is humble this. brag
0: apology there. It's the, this is the apology that approaches a humble brag. I'm really sorry about last week, so can I talk about that some more? Well done, Richard. Sneaky again. As you notice, Richard is, you know, the uh, master psychological manipulator. go. So <laughs>
1: Listen, I just want to say, the thing about paradoxes yeah, is that paradoxes only work in a certain context, right? Like you like know. the barber paradox, you know, the, the barber cuts the hair of every man who does not c- cut his own hair. Yeah. And, you know, on one level, of course, it's self-referential, like, description of, you know, recursion and stuff. It's all very complicated and gets mathematicians excited. On another level, you just go, "Yeah, he's probably bald or something," and you know the, <laughs> the paradox disappears, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, or the, the liar's paradox, or the you know this statement is false. I mean, on one level, again, it's self-referential. You know, how can you make sense of statements that refer to themselves? And on another level, you just go, "Yeah, okay." You know, is it? You know, so let me set newcomb's paradox in the proper context so we can understand why it's paradoxical and it it lives in the realm of sort of game theory and decision theory in the idea that you should be able to find an optimum choice or a best strategy for situations right which of course it doesn't just apply to games you know it applies to all kinds of like circumstances here's newcomb's paradox you need to I'm here. taking
0: notes, Richard. Go
1: on. Okay, just If okay. you could get a move on, potentially. You're going to play a game against a being, an entity we will call the Predictor. And we'll come back to the Predictor in a minute. But the name is a clue as to what it does. Right? Boss level, yeah. You're going to be presented with two boxes. Box A is made of glass. It's transparent. You can see in it. Mm-hmm. And in it is £1,000. Uh, or dollars, whichever you prefer. It doesn't matter. Yeah, this is Bayesian, but go on, carry on. Bayesian. Yeah, sorry. In Now, box B is opaque. It is sealed. And box B, we don't know yet, but box B may contain either nothing at all oh. or one million of your favourite currency.
0: Yeah.
1: Got that? Yeah. Now, you're going to be asked Bitcoin. to make one of two choices. And this is where it's a little bit tricky. You're not choosing box A or B, that would be mental, your choice is this. You can either choose to pick only box B or you can choose to pick both box A and box B. And right now you're presumably thinking that that's crazy. Why would you not just pick both? Okay, so here's the rule that the predictor uses to put stuff in box B. If the predictor predicts that you will pick box B alone, yeah. it puts a million pounds in box B. Right. If the predictor predicts that you will pick both boxes, A and B, it puts nothing in the, the sealed box. Yeah, I mean, either way, I
0: get $1,000 minimum, don't I? So it's all right, really.
1: Absolutely right. So here's here's a, an important thing. There is a strategy which guarantees you a 1000 on the other hand, it does seem like a million pounds is a much, much better prize. I mean, some people might argue you know, getting a million or getting nothing is better than just a thousand, which wouldn't change your life, would it? Yeah. But the chance of a million, much better. So what would you do at this point, Paul? What do you think the strategy should be? I'm just going to pick A and B and be sensible and go on with a thousand pounds. Thank you very much. On the basis that you know... Whatever happens, I get a thousand. Get a yeah. thousand. Yeah, yeah. that is the dominating strategy. Kind of, that's the dominance principle idea. In any event, no matter what happens, no matter what is in box B, picking both boxes gives you a thousand extra. Yeah. But if the predictor is right and it can predict things, well, what if it can't? I mean, I've got to believe that, haven't I? The weird thing about this thought experiment is it does seem to depend a little bit. Maybe not for you. But for a lot of people, it seems to depend a bit on how good the predictor is, right? <laughs> well, I mean, reasonably.
0: How am I supposed to estimate that? I've not been told the brand of the machine or the entity. You know, I mean, brand value
1: comes down here, doesn't it? I mean, like you know, people tend to trust Five Guys more than McDonald's. If I tell you that the predictor is infallible, it always gets the right answer. Does that change your? Does that change your strategy? I've got to believe that you. I, I, I've got to believe that, and I don't believe that, unfortunately. Well, what if I showed you records of previous tests that always come out correct for the predictor?
0: So you're saying, okay, there's a record of the predictor always being correct. Sure. If I, on that basis, choose to choose B, it will definitely put, and B only, it will put a million pounds in there.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind on, of... The... On that
0: basis, I would definitely choose B, I think.
1: It's weird. Which is what I
0: say, and you'd be wrong.
1: <laughs> it's weird that a thought experiment should rely so much on what you might argue is the metaphysics of the nature of the parameters of the experiment. I mean, I think your objections are perfectly sound, right? You don't know. What if I said, instead of it being infallible, what if I said it was 99% accurate or 80% accurate? Then I really think it is Bayesian at that point. Bayesian, sorry. If you work out the expectation values, you know, if you calculate the probabilities on that basis, you'll find that it's almost always better to just choose B until you're way down to about 50-50 accuracy. Really? Because, you know, a million is so much more than a thousand. By the time you're down to 50-50 accuracy anyway, it's just like guesswork, isn't it, from both well, parties. What if I need
0: placement. $900 to avoid my th- hand fingers getting cut off? In which case, I'd, I'd definitely
1: choose A and B, wouldn't I? Yeah. No, you're quite right. I mean, if a thousand pounds could be, in some sense, more valuable to you than than a million or nothing. A definite thousand could be more important to people than, you know, a potential million, I think. I, I think, am a one-boxer. By the way, this divides philosophers and mathematicians and logicians and stuff, uh, and the general public as well. Lots of people see themselves as a one-boxer or a two-boxer in this game. I think I'm a one-boxer. I think I know why.
0: Well, fortune favours the brave.
1: The only way to get a million pounds on the table...
0: Is to stop eating avocado toast and don't go for coffees at Costa. I mean, we've heard lots of sort of uh, (laughs) millennial-directed adopts about this, haven't we?
1: The only way a million pounds ever ends up in box B is if the predictor thinks you're going to one-box. So you must always say that you one-box, Right. If you give the predictor any clue that you're going to two-box, you're never going to be able to get win a million. So I would say what you should be doing is telling everybody that you're a one-boxer now. You've seen the error of your ways. So if you ever get asked to play this game, <laughs> and if you like Paul, bear in know. mind, I mean, I mean bear I mean, in mind that when
0: when you sit down in the room, we don't define our wealth by by material wealth necessarily. But we we shouldn't do so. Maybe I have, you know, moral objections to this game, sure maybe, maybe I don't want to win.
1: You're assuming I want to win the million. We could substitute the prizes for something else of value, to you? I don't know, world peace or something else. Okay,
0: now. Ah, now what would it be interesting if it was a small monetary or a large, large value sort of uh, humanistic prize, and you had to sacrifice personal gain for global gain? There, you see, that makes the game more interesting now, doesn't it?
1: But let's assume you're operating on the basis of greed and avarice, right? (laughs) Bear in mind that when you sit down and you make your choice, the boxes have already been filled. Ah, I didn't know that. It's sort of implied, but I think it is sometimes useful to point that out. Because at that point, the choice has already been made by the predictor. So maybe you might think that at that point you could change your mind, even if you had been intending.
0: But wouldn't the predictor be able to predict that you would change your mind?
1: Well, exactly. Who knows? We don't know how the predictor works, do we? The other interesting thing about this thought experiment is these days, especially with, like, chat GPT and stuff, a computer that can predict to 80 90% accuracy doesn't really seem very far-fetched, does it? I mean, imagine to enter this game, you do a little psychological questionnaire where it asks you to pick in various different circumstances, and then it puts you in this room with the two boxes... You can imagine it's probably possible to come up with something that's eighty to ninety percent accurate. You'd think, wouldn't you? It probably. wouldn't
0: need to be an explicit questionnaire. No, probably. Maybe you could have three different ways, three different click buttons to get to the to the actual test itself on different parts of the page, and uh, maybe just you know you could work out various aspects of people's personality by which by which one they click to get through to it camouflaged camouflage psychometrics you know I think TikTok is I mean there's all this stuff raging in the US at the moment about TikTok and what it's capable or not capable of doing somewhat hysterical What strange bedfellows, you know the Guardian is saying TikTok is you know an agent of the Chinese government and as our Republican senators from Texas okay I don't know if you've seen I don't know what his name is uh, the CEO of, TikTok. CEO of TikTok like saying I'm actually from Singapore guys and I was born there and my parents were born there kind of thing uh, so you know there's a lot of heated stuff going on but in terms of you know camouflaged, camouflaged psychometrics yeah I mean TikTok does that uh, but as he said it's mainly to push more TikTok down your throat than anything else I kind of believe him on that, but yeah, camouflage demographics is already uh, camouflage psychometrics is already a definite thing, isn't it? I mean, lots and
1: lots. This is it. uh, TikTok could already play this game as a predictor, probably. You know, again, getting back to time travel, Mm -hmm. if this machine actually, if I sit you down in a lab that's got all this vacuum tubes and radiation sources, and it's scattered around a lab of newspapers from a week in the future. Yeah, again, it might change your strategy once again, mind not it? You might not think you can outwit the predictor if it can actually see your future choice. Let me give you one more take on strategy for Newcombe's Paradox, and then we'll leave it at that forevermore. Uh, I mean, I had you down as a two-boxer, quite frankly. If I was playing this game, I would have two-boxed you. I, I could see, you know. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> I mean- so it's related to Nick Bostrom's simulation argument, which you may have heard. Uh-huh it's just basically the idea that every advanced civilization like ours say eventually creates simulations of ancestors for example i mean we're already making simulations of people right for computer games mm-hmm. and as soon as they're good enough we'll be it's doing simulations idea. of nick bostrom i think he's a cambridge uh, cambridge don he then makes a statistical argument imagine all the civilizations in the galaxy imagine the expanse of time over which civilizations can exist, yeah. it stands to reason that there are many, 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 many more simulations of people than there are real people, whatever real means. Right. Consequently, on the basis of probability, his argument is it stands to reason that we are almost certainly in a simulation than the real. Well, we are creation. in a genetic simulation. Well, I don't think that's quite what he means, but maybe it is what he means. But well, maybe you're right. On that basis, let me ask the question, how would a predictor, a prediction algorithm for Newcomb's game work? I suppose ultimately what it would do, it ought to run a simulation of your thought processes, of your mental state, mm-hmm. and then see what you pick. Yeah. And it would have to inculcate a simulated Paul brain that fully believed that it was real. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a fair test, right?
0: Why couldn't it just put a babel fish in my ear?
1: Consequently... By the same argument, the likelihood is we are almost certainly a simulated individual in a predictor in a game of Newcomb's Paradox.
0: I mean, where, where is the mathematics behind, oh, there must be so many simulations and more than there are living things? I mean, it's specious, isn't it?
1: No, that's empirical, isn't it? It's not Already, empirical. already, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of simulated people in video games all over the world right now. Right now. Now, they're very rudimentary, sure. But it won't take very long before all of those simulated people are much more sophisticated.
0: Yeah, have you seen Boston Dynamics? Have you seen their new robots? And their
1: no, par- what do they do? Oh, the
0: parkour is incredible.
1: Oh, well, I've seen the parkour, yeah. I've seen them throwing things up to scaffolding and stuff like that. It's amazing. Yeah. Let's get back to finish my argument. Let us assume that we are, in fact, beings in a newcome paradox predictor simulating our thought processes to get answers of how we would choose if we were in a real situation
0: so you mean there's a real meat elsewhere in an acid
1: bath of matrix presumably matrix matrix size, and your real you stands to win a million but only if i can only, defeat or work with the only if you convince the predictor that you're a one boxer and so, you should always, one, say you're a one boxer, <laughs> and two, be a one boxer, just so the real you in another universe has a chance of winning a million. I can't see the advantage of being a two boxer, to be honest. Oh, you've changed. I've changed your mind. <laughs> now, the advantage of a two boxer is if you win something, if there's the slightest chance that the predictor is wrong or you could outwit it, then yeah, it seems to me, it seems to be the case.
0: But why would you want to outwit it? If you don't outwit it, you win a million.
1: Yeah, but maybe the predictor thinks that you're a two-boxer for oh. a lot of the reasons that you've elucidated so far. It's not; it's a paradox. And the stats are, like, I think it's like 42, 57 or something. I'm not sure which way on it splits. But it's surprisingly very evenly split in the population as to who are two-boxers and who are one-boxers. It sounds like I flipped you.
0: No, I mean, would I get close enough to the? Is the predictor nearby me, or is it, uh, you know, a, 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 an intangible kind of dis- dispersed entity?
1: What are you going to do? Threaten it? Well, throw I a grenade this. at it? Right. I mean, I think we're outside the parameters of the thought experiment.
0: <laughs> it's annoying me. The predictor, I just don't.
1: What if there's a comp- What is the competing
0: predictor that uh, puts a virus in the predictor and makes it misperform? I mean, there's all kinds of sort of omnipotent assumptions here to this. To this uh...
1: Sure. Yeah, we could be in an antagonistic simulator, for all we know. There right? could Don't be know. predictive politics going
0: on here, couldn't there? Power oh, play Christ. politics. let's play the music. <laughs> Sorry to spoil it.
1: Hey, Paul. Yeah. Welcome to the next movie in our time travel is it a real movie
0: or is it just something that my simulation is watching
1: well it's impossible to tell isn't
0: it hey do you know i mean people knock it but wreck it ralph really dug into these issues in a child-friendly way sorry let's continue
1: (laughs) well maybe we should put it on the list paul what's the name of this this film i do believe it's the history of future folk and right? why is it not, as we may have thought, a time travel movie? It's not a time
0: travel movie. It is a space travel movie. Yeah,
1: it's because it's not about future folk. It's about the potential about aggressive
0: colonisation of our planet. Uh, and
1: it's a, and it's about a band called Future Folk.
0: It is incredible, as I found when I did a tiny amount of research on the backstory and the backdrop to this film.
1: Oh, right, again. Well, tell me what you found out.
0: Well, that's it, really. I mean, this film followed after their infamy or fate their moments of fame as a band the future folk band you know they were playing as a band i think they released albums okay they did a tour and uh, it was just like a whole kind of vibe where they dressed up as alien performers yeah future folk people and they built this story and script off the back of their, their career as as i don't know bluegrass alien song folk So it's future folk, folk, isn't folk
1: isn't it, it? yeah This film came out in two thousand twelve. The band, I think, were going since about two thousand and four. I think two thousand and four is
0: when they kind of hit some bar and got a residency or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: and they've been playing in New York bars or a bar.
0: They were actors. They were in the same uh, theatre production before then, and and off the back of it, got the idea to create these these two comic, semi comic personas of as you know, sort of space traveling, folk
1: singing, bucket wearing people. Yeah. Bucket wearing, so that's important. Is that the 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 lead? Well, both of them in the end. There's only one of them at the start. Wear their space uniform, uh-huh. which is an amusingly bucket-headed design, <laughs> uh, not unlike our own political bucket head. We have a count bin face, don't we? We do have a count bin face. Yes, British politics. Uh, or is there a, is there also a Lord Buckethead? There is something was, like that. Yeah, I think there was a. Lord Buckethead, since 1987. Wow. Okay. There we go. Can. Campbell Place took on Boris Johnson in his constituency. <laughs>
0: well, there's another person who's cooked his goose. Or so it would seem. Maybe I've spoken too early.
1: Whose goose is cooked, rather. I doubt he cooks his own geese. So, Future Folk, a band, Do can we count them as a fictional band? Or no, or are they're, they a, they're real a
0: real band? band. They're a real band.
1: But they're not. I mean, they're playing as. Pretend as a fictional... Yeah, I think it's a comedy show, but the yes, music is
0: real. Yeah. and they So they have a persona,
1: and they perform, yeah. Does that make them a real band? Yeah, I mean, is Les Dawson a pianist? Certainly. It got me thinking about fictional music acts, you see. And this line is often blurred between mm. fictional music acts.
0: Okay, let us let me give you a few. Milli Vanilli.
1: Ah, this is a band who were cute, or found, Can't to be miming. Won't sing. Can't sing, won't sing. <laughs> they had a hit. That they presented hit? themselves as real. They were more like a fraudulent band, weren't they, rather than a fictional band. True. But yeah, sure. Okay. You, hit, you, you give me one. Okay, okay. Okay. Well, the obvious fictional band is Spinal Tap, right? Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. How about the Wombles? Or the Smurfs? The
1: uh, Smurfs have a band?
0: Yeah, they got to number one. No, but listen... It's real music, it's sold as music, it's entertaining and humorous music. What about Shut Up Your Face by Joe Dolce? What about Just Eat It by that guy? It's all real music. It's com- I don't think we could call comedy music not real music.
1: So Spinal Tap, because they played real gigs, which they did, I think, mm-hmm. they are not a fictional band. Even what
0: they... about David Bowie as uh, Ziggy Stardust? Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. Like, it's hard now to say that's not real music, isn't it?
1: Well, this is what I'm saying. The lines blur, don't they? What is a fictional band? I actually asked for a list of these uh, from one of the AIs. Well, here here we go. What about Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Club Band?
0: Or what about any form of opera where people are playing a character?
1: Okay, so here's the thing. So
0: I think we've poo-pooed it, generally speaking. I think just because people take a character on stage, it doesn't stop the music from being real. Gilbert and Sullivan is still real music, isn't it?
1: What about the monkeys? Are the monkeys I was, that was the
0: one I forgot. I, I kind of got lost in a train of thought. The monkeys, yeah, I think he's the best example. I think it's legitimate to say they maybe didn't start off as real music, but they became real music. Although they were still in Persona, weren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the monkeys really are more just like a synthesized and artificial band like the Spice Girls, right? True. But then you think about E17, I mean, or take that, and they, they're just
0: managed image, aren't they? So if they're managed image, are they. Is that real music too? The Blues Brothers. Oh, that's interesting, that one.
1: I mean, they're very similar, actually, in yeah. a way, aren't they? The Blues Brothers. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, so what are your favourite fictional or quasi-fictional bands
0: or musical well, acts? Well, the monkeys, obviously, because they ended up making really good music. Sergeant
1: Pepper are amazing, let's face it. Sergeant Pepper. However,
0: I mean, <laughs> it's a stretch to say it's not the Beatles as the Beatles, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Well, yeah,
0: it is, yeah. Same for Ziggy Stardust, you know. I'm not going to allow that because, I mean, these are arbitrary bird lines, aren't they? So I think the monkeys definitely, that's it really, the monkeys. I don't really see any other kind of bands in character as being, making any kind of desirable music, I don't think.
1: There was, I think they're called Critical Taunt. This was Tia Carrera in Wayne's World. who sang Ballroom Blitz. Oh, wow. I think that's, that was cool. And another recent one that I enjoyed a lot. In the Black Mirror series, this is, there's an episode where um, Miley Cyrus plays a fictional pop star. Well, she always was. She was always,
0: she was always Hannah Montana, wasn't she?
1: Yeah, this is it. This is why it's Clever Clever, right? Mm-hmm. It's Miley Cyrus playing another fictional character in a piece. And... Herself in, in the thing, she's a, a confected, you know, sort of artificial uh, act and she's not really doing a true self, so she's unhappy. She does a great pop version of Head Like a Hole by Nine Inch Nails with the lyrics <laughs> kind of adjusted, it's all bubblegum. It's really, really good, well worth checking out. When she comes through the episode and she finds herself and her real kind of musical voice... She does a kind of grunge Nine Inch Nails version of Head Like a Hole at the end, which is also brilliant because it's Miley Cyrus doing it, you know, in a dive bar. Okay, so we better get on and explain what the history of the future folk band supposedly is.
0: Well, in the movie? Yeah. I mean, they did come on stage and they declare that, well, he declares to begin with. He?
1: He's, it's only he's one of them to start just, with. He declares he's and from he's outer called, space? You know? He's called General Trius. Yeah. He's from outer space and he's come to. He's come from a planet called Hondo.
0: Who, Hondo. In danger. Okay. Uh, about to be attacked by. A, a comet. comet. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. come to find uh, a suitably atmosphered, small,
1: innocuous planet that they can colonize. And he has a potion with him that would send everyone to sleep if he activated it. That's right, yeah. But, but the story is that when he arrived, he goes into a. like a supermarket or something a target or something, and he hears, <laughs> he hears Muzak playing. That's right, yeah. And because on Hondo they don't have music, apparently, he is so <laughs> enchanted and raptured by the melodic sound <laughs> that he decides to stay on Earth forever and not to put us all to sleep. And indeed, to learn how to play music. So I think in fairly short order, he's learnt to play the banjo, if that is what that instrument is called. We also know that he's got a wife, now he's got a daughter called mm-hmm. Ren.
0: And we see, I think at the beginning, him telling bedtime stories to her, where he's just telling her, you know, his trip from Hondo as it is, the bottom and uh, she's treating it as a bedtime story. And he has to point out, hey, it's just made up, but in fact, it's not. It's all true.
1: We even see the first moment where he lands, don't we? Well, they mm-hmm. haven't really perfected landing, have they, Hondonians? They weren't expecting our atmosphere, you see, apparently. Ah, so the ships just crash land, don't they? He's got a job. He's called Bill Hunt, apparently, General Trius. That's his Earth name. He's got a job working as a janitor in a missile museum. That's right. But one day, whilst he's out on the street buying fruit from a fruit vendor, he is sniped at by a laser gun of apparently an assassin been sent to kill him. Uh, I mean, sadly, one innocent member of the public dies in this sequence. It's not really commented on, is it? But there we are. Really? Bill chases down his assassin, or would-be assassin, and throttles him with the strap of his messenger bag, which uh, is, I think, a useful tip for all of those who carry a bag.
0: The other thing, if you're going to defend yourself with a pole, put an umbrella uh, cover over the end of it, so when people try to grab it, they'll grab the cover and not your pole.
1: What? Where did you learn that, Paul? (laughs) <laughs> See, it's very clever. Will
0: just slip off.
1: <laughs> you mean like a sheath?
0: Like it, like a yeah, like a loose sheath. <laughs> like a sheath on a small cooked prawn.
1: <laughs> to put it in context, General Trius drags this guy back home in a taxi. I don't know how you do that without the taxi driver asking questions. He goes to a storage locker he's got, where he's keeping all of his special Hondonian equipment. That's right, yeah. Ties him up and leaves him for dead. Leaves him till tomorrow. It, well, he's left him at home in the shed while he goes to the oh, storage locker. I see. And unfortunately, I think his little girl finds the Hondonian tied up. Meanwhile, he's trying to broadcast messages back to Hondo. I think he's trying to tell them you know, not to send an invasion party. Simply because of the glory of music. I mean, he would be cold-hearted, but the glory of music stops him doing that, yeah? Yeah, it's opened his heart up, Paul. It speaks to him emotionally. So when he gets home, because his kid has found a strange person tied up in the shed, there oh. are police present, and he has to make out, like, the guy was drunk and they were out partying and he just tied him up for his own safety and stuff like that. One of the police women is young, attractive female cop who the assassin takes a bit of a shine to, I think. Most definitely, yeah.
0: Now, I have to comment on the similarity of... It's not lieutenant, is it General? General Trius, yes. General Trius and the assassin, who later becomes his sidekick plot spoiler. Yes. uh, Their similarity to Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise in the Cannonball Run.
1: Huh. I realised that I know the actor playing Kevin as we find out his name is, Ah. The Assassin. (laughs) It wasn't obvious to me. I had to look it up. But I realised why when I did so. What's it? And that's because he's played by a guy, an actor called Jay Clates, who plays a character in Grand Theft Auto V. I see. He plays Lester, Lester Crest, in Grand Theft Auto V. The voice acting, also the mocap, and a little bit of the character design... It's so good in Grand Theft Auto V. I kind of recognised him even even within the game. Brilliant. Grand Theft Auto V, probably the video game I've spent more time in than any other than any other game. I spent really a shocking amount of time playing that game. I think they were still gigging up until about 2017, mm-hmm. but they've been on hiatus for a while, although I think it is rumoured that they might get future folk back together to do something else soon. I don't know. He talks his way down for these cops. He actually co-ops his wife and tells her a little bit about what's going on. Although, bear in mind, she doesn't really know or understand or believe that he's an alien from Planet Hondo. Uh, so she's just telling the wife to make out like he's a friend. Uh, but the wife is having none of it at this point. <laughs> so she, she packs a bag and leaves, doesn't she? Although, she does, she doesn't, yeah. doesn't give her daughter any time to pack, does she? She just ups and leaves daughters, only they got a coat on.
0: So Kevin's in the honeymoon phase of uh, discovering Earth, and mostly it's his love of music, because music is everywhere. You know? And so there's a quite funny scene where they're wandering, is it New York late at night? And there's a street busker playing drums, and uh, there's a the funny scene where Kevin's enthusiasm just takes over, and he wants to join in playing his guitar, which he's very quickly learned to play within a matter of days.
1: You've skipped over the bit where yeah. he's got him tied up in his shed, and He pulls out his banjo finger picks, which Kevin assumes are some terrible torture torture implement. And then he picks up his banjo, which Kevin doesn't recognise and he's also terrified by. And then he plays an amazing melody, (laughs) which leaves Kevin in rapturous delight, because he's never really heard music at this point. He's so thrilled by it, he slips out of his bonds whilst he's in the middle of a banjo... Uh, rendition of also Sprak Zarathustra. <laughs> he, he's yelling and stuff and he's very excited and I think he escapes at that point, doesn't he? He karate chops. He does Bill. escape. How do we find him again? Oh, well, he, he turns up, doesn't he? Bill does another gig and Kevin ah. shows up with a guitar. That's he's right. And to they play. have a
0: storming gig, don't they? Okay. They do
1: a number, yeah, they do and they, they duet together.
0: And it's afterwards, you know, a post-prandial kind of stuff where they're walking the streets that Kevin just can't control himself whenever he hears music, and the funny about there's I mean, there's lots of funny humor in this. It's not really pointed out. Lots of humor just they just let pass, don't they? But uh, the other guy says, "Look, look, I mean, stop it, stop playing along. You're going to really stand out, you know, and make us noticeable." Whilst they're both wearing sort of red <laughs> metal bucket heads from Flash Gordon in the middle of New York, so that sort of stuff. Yeah. So there's lots of uh, you know quite gentle humor here. Uh, that isn't necessarily sort of shouting out to the to the audience, but appreciated nonetheless.
1: Kevin winds up dancing in a shop to some samba music, doesn't he, that he's found I- impossible to ignore. And uh, uh, for some reason, the cops get called again, Yeah, and it's that same cop who turns up. And this time, Kevin is so smitten with her that I think he steals a kiss from her while she's telling him off. So she
0: pepper-sprays him. Uh, he's <laughs> genetically different and doesn't respond to the pepper spray in any form. Or shape whatsoever. So
1: she hits him with a baton.
0: That's right. Yeah. And says, I know where you like to get kissed. In the holding cell with all the big guys down there.
1: I mean, I have seen criticism of this film that Kevin doesn't really behave very well towards this cop. He doesn't, but then he's an alien, isn't he? So He doesn't have the normal yeah, the normal inhibitions that we might have. They both have to get bailed out. I think Bill's wife shows up and uh, bails them out. Not
0: before potentially murdering all the biggest guys. In the holding cell,
1: yeah. Well, he's a general, isn't he? he general is, yeah. Atreus. He knows how to handle himself. In- you see Atreides'
0: <laughs> level of martial arts skill. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah,
1: true. Uh, in fact, they escape before they get bailed out, don't they? They do, yeah. yeah. Uh, because he beats up the guard when they're, they're fighting in the cell. They go to the lockup, his secret hideout, and he explains to Kevin all about his plan to <laughs> destroy the <laughs> comet that's threatening planet Hondo. Kevin tries unsuccessfully to activate the sleep virus potion. Thought stupidly. He presses the button but doesn't realise that it's fingerprint activated. Fingerprint activated. Too keyed to General Trius. No, the general adjuster. wasn't too and
0: clever here. He should have lied and said it was his left finger rather than his right finger.
1: Um, yeah.
0: But he actually tells Kevin which finger it is that activates it, which is daft.
1: It would be, although ultimately it doesn't prove to be the...
0: But Maybe Kevin's got a thing. predictor on him anyway, so he would know if he was lying or not. <laughs> So Kevin says, look, you know, I, I can't believe it. I got sent here to assassinate you. He's like, no, 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 you were never sent here to assassinate. That's what the general says. He says, uh, I don't know, he's got some very complicated, twisted logic that I didn't fully understand about how Kevin can't be an assassin.
1: Uh, because he's too bad. He's Yeah, he's so too it was to
0: build to false confidence in the general, to bring him out of hiding, to assume that the assassin had come and failed, and therefore for the next then real, assassin, the
1: real assassin. Yeah, send the real assassin. A to non-Hondonian
0: shoot mercenary. Out of play- in plain sight kind of thing. So he knows there's somebody else coming for him.
1: But to stay off the uh, grid, as it were, they go to the bar where he normally gigs, and they arrange with the the, the bar owner to stay in the back room. Songs for rent. They, yeah, because well they the, p- play a gig every night, singing yeah. for the supper. Yeah. Cue montage of the general
0: putting Kevin through a training regime. I'm not quite sure what that was all about.
1: And also, and this is the other icky bit: Kevin goes to the cop's house. She's found the address on. This one's seriously he, icky. He stuns her with his gun, brings her to a, a Bill's house, I think, or somewhere else. Yeah. And then plays a serenade for her, a song he's written for her, it's while Spanish. she's still, while she's now awake but paralysed. It is sung in what I presume is beautiful Spanish. And then I think he he lets her go or whatever. Says she'll come around in like half an hour. Not not icky at all. <laughs> not. <laughs> Bill is speaking to his wife to try and convince her that he's not crazy. The mercenary has found the storage unit and is hunting Bill down. The, the mercenary obviously is a standard sci-fi villain. Clad did in they make? A tow.
0: Did they make this movie with their own money?
1: Well, it looks like it does. <laughs> I mean, fair attempt to the you know the
0: villain, uh, the villain and costume. Uh, which yeah. is relatively convincing. I mean, you can see it's made out of rubber. But he's a large, I don't know what kind of species of alien you would typify him as being. The large kind of crest-headed, you know, similar to what? Similar, I guess, to... A Klingon. Similar, Very similar to a Klingon, yeah. yeah. What does he do? He quickly tracks the general down, doesn't he?
1: Not quite yet. Oh. We see Kevin again spying on the cop. She's going to a dance class with some sleazy guy who she doesn't seem very interested in, let's face it. So Kevin goes to the dance class with them, wheedles his way in, doesn't he? But when he gets in the dance class, obviously the cop recognises him, but he asks her for one dance, for one song, and then, you know, she can arrest him or whatever. So they dance a steamy tango, um, and this is interesting. Did you mention that he knocked out an old lady to get in here? That's true, he did knock out (laughs) the lady at the
0: door. I mean, that's quite funny, I thought. It wasn't like Icky, it was played for comic effect. I think.
1: So the the tango is intercut with Bill being confronted by the mercenary on the roof of a building. And so we see, you know, the the dance of death on the roof and the tango of love in the dance class, don't we? (laughs) Delightful.
0: The outcome of the tangle on the roof is that the assassin uh, doesn't kill him, doesn't kill the general. He just simply weighs his arm down with a brick wall uh, to render him immobile. With an immobile hand he places the uh, virus is it? The canister of virus onto the opening finger and uh, unlocks it digitally with his fingerprint.
1: Bill assumes that the assassin guy was going to kill him but the mercenary says, oh, well they didn't pay me enough for that. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just triggers the the virus bomb.
0: Tight-ass hondoisms. Okay, and uh, off he trots the assassin. Okay, well, I mean, somehow Bill General manages to get that wall off his hand. Um, there seems to be no crushed bones, which is somewhat uh, staggering. And he holds the now live canister uh, to his to his chest, uh, to his uh, to his breast, with the
1: idea of, uh, of somehow dealing with it. Yeah, it can't be stopped. Apparently, it's designed not to be stopped. But Kevin finds a welding torch. How is the it bark. going to
0: detonate? Is it going to nu- detonate in a nuclear manner? Do you think, or what? No, it's a virus. But why not just put it in an airtight place? Or do they not think of that?
1: No, apparently they don't think of that. Although the idea that they do have, which I think is simpler in some ways, Paul. Oh. is to weld it to a missile oh. and shoot the missile Simple in a fucking ziplock.
0: I don't think it is simple in a Ziploc. Go <laughs> zip on, carry on.
1: Yeah, but if you put it in a Ziploc, it would be a deadly ziplock. You'd have to sequester for another Yeah, rest and we've it. got Anthrax Island. We've dealt with that for 50 years or 80 years now, haven't we? We do have Anthrax Island, you're right. That's a bit creepy, isn't it? Although they've cleaned it now, haven't you? You can go visit there now. You can't cannot. It's just and- not. It's just not happening. All right, I'll cancel my holiday
0: plans
1: then. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just so... I thought it had been declared okay. O- okay for sheep, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> that's just so Mr Burns, isn't it? But anyway, Corey, carry on. So they go to Bill's workplace, the Cradle of Aviation Museum, where there is like a Minuteman missile silo or something. Oh,
0: that's why they were showing people around saying, this used to be the site of the missile launch, but don't worry, we've, de-
1: we've deactivated all the missiles. Bill can reactivate them. So while Kevin goes down and welds the virus bomb onto the missile, Bill had also planned to use this missile to blow up the comet heading for Hondo. But he realises... Two birds, one stone. Unfortunately, he can't now. He would have to wait another three weeks oh to be gosh. in time for the comet, he thinks.
0: Does he not think of two birds with one stone?
1: That was his idea, but he seems to think you can't do it. So the missile launches... Apparently we're supposed
0: to say two birds with two, one brush these days, aren't we? Pardon? Two birds with one brush. Paint two aren't birds we? with one brush.
1: Oh, rather than killing them yes. with a stone? Yeah. The next scene is that they are fleeing from the museum with all the cops in the city chasing them. So we get a Blues Brother esque like, cop chase through the city. They go back to their bar where they're due to have a gig. And of course, by now they've gained enough of a following that all their fans are like cosplaying as them they're all wearing buckets on their heads (laughs) so when the police show up with a description of two guys with red buckets on their heads there's a bar full of them so they're able to escape into the crowd and pull the power switch as well so the lights go out and the cops can't see them and Kevin finds his friendly girl cop or unfriendly girl cop uh, at the power switch about to restore power Mm -hmm. But Kevin manages to seduce her with some more sweet Spanish. <laughs> and seemingly she's into it. So she gives a false lead on the radio to her cup buddies. Didn't she shed they're off? Yes. They went that away kind of thing.
0: I think I missed some of the humour in this movie. I think that was supposed to be funny, wasn't it? It is funny, of course,
1: oh. yeah. And they then give a, a gig to prove that he really is from another planet. General Trias tells his wife... He points at the star, doesn't he? And he says, up there, there's a comet. I've just launched a missile to blow it up. And he says, in five seconds. And it does, of course, blow up in the sky. So his wife is cobsmacked. So am I, actually, because he said he couldn't do that earlier. So he's managed to pull that out of the bag from nowhere. Yeah. There we go. We hear now that Kevin and Carmen, the cop's name, apparently, travel back to Hondo with Earth music to give them all the pleasure of Earth music.
0: <laughs> well, this is as told as a bedtime story to, to the kid, isn't it? But as his previous story was true, we have to assume this one is true also.
1: Lovely. It is, I think, Paul, as you say, it's a bit of a vanity project <laughs> for this band concept that they've got going on. I'm
0: sure they made quite a few ticket sales on the back of it. Do you know what I mean?
1: We've talked a lot about fictional bands and about which ones we like. Yeah. A lot, a lot of fictional music acts. Oh, another obvious one we didn't mention. Gorillas. Yeah, are they are they a fictional act? They have real albums, they have voice real them. releases, but that's just a name of his. I mean, that's well—is it Gorillas just a name? No, because they're cartoon characters, aren't they? Oh, okay, okay. But when people go
0: on stage, aren't they performing anyway? I mean, uh, this is, I think, an idea about modern music: is that music isn't like theatre? That music is authenticity
1: somehow... is important for yeah. some musicians, right? to an extent absolutely you're right i mean all it, when you step on stage it's all a performance isn't mm. it throwing tvs out of hotel room windows is is that a performance or is that gen, is that drug fueled amphetamine <laughs> fueled craziness well i mean
0: the 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 lack of clarity there is also part of the part of the deal isn't it's it it's part yeah. of the yeah the
1: whole deal the mystique the mystique
0: yep. if you like i don't know if you can call it mystique anymore But what used to be seen as the mystique of of, of rock stardom.
1: A lot of these fictional acts that appear in movies and TV programs and stuff, often they're quite good, like surprisingly good. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly because, you know, they're just made up for the purposes of that piece. And yet, like Miley Cyrus as Ashley in, in the Black Mirror episode, that was a really great performance and a great track. And yet in this, I don't... I'm not a huge fan of their basic music. I mean, it's it's whimsical and it's quite cute. I don't love it, though.
0: So I think, I think the biggest fictional one has to be Miley Cyrus. She played Miley Stewart, who played Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. Which is triplicate, isn't it? Okay.
1: Sure, sure. Hey, there's another good one. There's a film called Still Crazy, about old, an old rock band getting together, you know, in their... In their late middle age, early old age, starring Bill oh, Nye, Billy got, Connolly. Oh,
0: Steve, oh, sorry, it's still crazy. Who's who's in it? Bill,
1: Bill Nye, Billy Connolly, Stephen Ray, Jimmy Nail, Timothy Spall. Their band was called Strange Fruit, Whoa. and I really like two of their tracks. I've got, got a proper... very
0: politically incorrect joke these days about still crazy. Oh, you know, the psychiatrist goes into the secure ward. I talks to one guy, he says, you know, he's still crazy, he says, no, 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 I used to be crazy, but now I realise this was inappropriate, you know, I had centric, uh, egocentric thoughts, I couldn't re- distinguish reality from my thoughts, uh, you know, I-, I was crazy before. And the psychiatrist says, you know, you're free to go, unlocks the uh, padlock and the eye lock and lets him out of the psychiatric ward. Does this for two or three more patients. I I won't labour through the job. Gets to the fourth patient and uh, he walks in, and the guy, you know, is stuffing uh, peanuts down his erect penis. He says, You know, are you still crazy? He says, Yeah, I'm still fucking nuts.
1: (laughs) I would rather (laughs) shove aquarium gravel down my miatus. Funny story. I
0: actually, you know, I, I, I went to get checked for STDs in a country that wasn't Britain, and he gave me a metal skewer that literally oh you could put a kebab God. on. He put some of the roughest cotton wool on the edge of it and said, stick that down and see what you know, comes he, out.
1: He told you to do that.
0: Yeah, he said, I do. I sometimes do it with people, I say, but he says, it's probably less painful if you do it yourself. <laughs> do you remember swabbing for COVID up your nose? Yes. Take that feeling, multiply it by 100 and add real pain. Oh, just terrifying.
1: Some people do this for pleasure, right? This sounds, please, please, is a thing. Oh, no, no, I, I can't. It's unbearable oh. to think about. And he had the temerity to say no further.
0: You know, it's like, oh my oh god, oh my god, oh, I'm oh. oh. oh, wincing as it all comes back to me. I've really, Sorry, I've really no, compartmentalised uh, that, compartmentalised that, that memory.
1: <laughs> belated trigger warning for <sighs> okay for genital trauma. Paul, did, you like, did you like the music in Future Folk? Uh, I like the
0: little, I don't know what you call the musical montages, the little, uh, there is a word for it, isn't it? Where he moved from one song to another.
1: The medley, yes. Med, thank you, medley. The medley that he used I like the medley, Kevin. but it
0: was too short. We needed 25 seconds instead of 15 seconds of each song. I
1: was going to say exactly the same thing. It was one bit of music <sighs> I really grooved to was that medley. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant, but we needed more of each song. It was too, too transient.
0: Okay. Uh, bluegrass, I, I kind of like Bluegrass, but this wasn't great stuff. I mean, Bluegrass, you need a really, really competent, fast banjo player. And he ain't it, you know
1: what I mean? Harsh, but I think that's fair. I, I wasn't a massive fan of the music. So I guess their appeal and their lasting appeal as a cult following, as it were, is the whole. Keyf- it's the keyfabe again, isn't it? The pretence to be aliens and they're dressing up. The Count Binface style. It's kind of a weird kind of... I don't know
0: how to characterise this, but it's a kind of a weird, kind of an indie kitsch drab cosplay. And,
1: you know, Lord Buckethead
0: predates them. He, he started off in 1987. So does so. Flash Gordon. I mean, they take a lot of their aesthetics from that, don't they?
1: <laughs> Gordon's alive. Uh, right, so... <laughs> acting then, Paul, how would you rate it? Zany,
0: fun, fairly high energy... Not that professional. Let's be honest about it. But then you know, constraints of budget. I'm guessing there were two takes, maximum. Of most, most shots, weren't they? So I'm gonna give it a six
1: and a half. I thought the acting was good. I thought it was one of the strongest parts. Yeah, generally okay. speaking, and look, performances were good. So I'll give it. Um, I'll give it an eight. Whoa,
0: very good then. Okay, what about the plot shenanigans?
1: I think I've read that there, there's a longer and more elaborate backstory. The right. band, which was abbreviated for the purposes of making this film, yeah. it moves along, its laps, it slaps, does. it does. Yeah. They don't waste any time. It's not perhaps as funny as it might need to be to carry it. No, I'll give it a six.
0: Wacky, definitely. Uh, cock a hoop, yeah, cock definitely. Uh, very high energy, okay. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, National Lampoon, uh, as I've mentioned, Cannonball Run, those kind of things. It kind of has that sort of giddiness to it, okay. Uh, kind of like you know a, a one hit wonder kind of summer hit kind of movie that's to be appreciated i think it all holds together you know i love the fact that they managed to pull off this time travel stuff with so little kind of, time travel stuff sorry this space travel space stuff. travel. sorry uh, this with so space, little budget with so little budget you know Eventually, I was kind of convinced. I love the look and see. It's like, you know, introducing the whole idea as a bedtime story to his to his daughter, you know. So I thought it tied rather well, actually, the plot. I'm going to give
1: it a seven. It, this could have been cringe. Yeah. But actually, they pull it off, mm. don't they? Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a seven as well. Oh. God knows what category we do next, Paul.
0: Well, I think we have to do likable humanoids from a planet similar to Earth. Kind of vibe. <laughs> well, I mean, was this? I mean, is it supposed to be anything other than like Bill and Ted's
1: kind of nonbelievableness? Or are we? Yeah, know? true. The Hondonians are difficult to like, aren't they? Because yeah. without music, they seem rather po-faced, rather and dour, pleasant. kind of serious yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. So they really need music, but maybe we all do. Maybe Again, Third
0: the Rock classics. from the Sun, very similar kind of uh, characters, aren't
1: they? I'll give it a six.
0: I thought I was able to suspend disbelief and, you know, kind of believe that these were, you know, very human, humanoid kind of life forms. And, and, you know, the kitschness of uh, all the cheap, uh, sorry, how do you say, budgetary effective uh, costume and prop kind of added to that feel. So I'm going to give it a six and a half.
1: So we also need to do, on a scale of like fake to authentic, a fictional music act score as well.
0: Oh, well, I, I, I'm i quite impressed by them as a fictional music act. Uh, so I'm going to give them a seven.
1: Seven. Okay. I'm not sure which is good or bad. Uh, I mean, they're bona fide, aren't they? Like, yeah. They actually gig and they've been doing it for years. They're a real band in many ways. So I'll, I'll give them a seven as well. Yeah, that's very okay, sense. my
0: overall score is going to be a six for this baby.
1: I'll give it a six, unless you're a big fan of them, in which case it's an eight, isn't it? If oh, you, maybe even a nine. The if you, if you, yeah,
0: if you yeah. get the, the kind of jokiness of it... Because I never really laughed out loud, apart from... The, no,
1: I, I, agree. I agree. Apart
0: from the part where he said, you know, don't draw attention to yourself, you know, <laughs> by playing that music, and they're in huge metal red buckets, you know. Uh, that, for me, was the only laugh-out-loud moment. And the rest of it, it's all about... It's not an in-joke as such. It's more about a vibe, isn't it? Okay, It's more about a neat indie vibe, a cutesy kind of vibe. Uh, which either you get or you don't, and I didn't particularly object to it. So, so yeah, it's oh. Hondonian funny. It is Hondonian funny.
1: So I'll give it a seven.
0: I'd rather like the poetry that is it the first thirty pages of Guide?
1: Vogon poetry. Vogun poetry. Oh. So a six to and a seven. It's a recommend, spoiler. but you know, not a strong yeah, recommend from yeah. us over here. No, it's it's cute though, isn't it? it is so cute. what are we going to do for the last? It's our last March movie. It is, but not probably the listeners' last March movie,
0: and potentially. Our last kinda of time travelly, space travelly thing before we hitch on to another train. Yeah. So I'm gonna give you an option three, Richard, if that's okay.
1: Okay. I'm ready. Sometimes Blame too
0: much options are you know are debilitating. Okay. Option well three paralysis. is about as
1: many as we've ever had, but never mind.
0: <laughs> is there? Okay, here we go. I'm sure we had two of these before. One of them is deja vu. Okay. The
1: Thanks other is yep.
0: uh, cognac. Almanac. Almanac. No, Almanac. Almanac, Almanac, okay. yeah. Uh, and finally, if I can read my writing. Primer. Okay, the third one is Primer.
1: If we're going to end a time travel season, and if you think you haven't seen Primer, haven't, about no. two engineers going back in time to make money on the stock market, let's right go and watch street Primer.
0: Because it's that right ties into two of the movies we've seen recently, doesn't it? Three of the movies. We've had two attempts to at travel time to make money and we've also had Marge and Jerry go large.
1: So there we go. Primer is a proper postgraduate study level time travel movie, Paul. So oh, again, God. just like the Bobby Fingers YouTube video, you've got to watch the third one of before I've got to look week. up
0: Newcomb's, Newcomb's Paradox before I even try attempt to torture on this one, Richard. Bobby Fingers the third. I'm looking at the third of Bobby's fingers. Okay.
1: And you need to pay attention to Primer. You may need to watch it twice. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so until the next time, episode unless we go back in time and do it again, then that's goodbye from me. And, and it's, it's p- goodbye. P- or hello. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Bob. ciao
0: for now from me. See you on the next episode, everyone. Bye. <laughs>